so I'm, I'm starting the recording again. I'll do my intro. Would you like to do the intro, Matt? So uh, well, the, how, how so would that go? Our <laughs> intro for every episode, we, we say, welcome, dirty peasants, to okay. the Gazette, the Amphibia podcast. Okay, I can do that. Um, uh, all right, so Thumb has asked me to do the intro, so here I am doing the intro. Welcome, dirty peasants, to the Wartwood Gazette. This is Matt Brawley. Thank you, Matt. This is episode 65. I'm your host, Thimbaticon, and joining me today is my co-host, Nick. What's up, everybody? And Amphibia executive producer and creator, Matt Brawley. Hey, guys. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, this is kind of like our way of like celebrating the past 65 recordings we've done. We, re- we talk about every episode, give each of them like a chance to shine, and um, like a minimum of an hour of discussion. Oh, but... wow. Great. <laughs> Some recordings are longer than others, but like we, we try to give every episode like the chance, like a chance in the spotlight. Do you um, mean every half hour? Or do you mean every 11? Oh, every, every half hour. That's uh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, some episodes, like some 11 minute episodes go on for like an hour and a half. And then you have episodes like The Corn and the King, which go on for, yeah. for uh, Nick. How long was that recording? That was like over three hours, man. Like, oh, we my, really God. Deep in there. <laughs> oh yeah, my God. Oh my God. It's even a week. Like, yeah. yeah, there's a lot. Awesome. There's a lot to discuss about this show. But, That's uh, awesome. And, oh, by the way, is this a, a video interview? This is a video interview. Is, oh okay. yeah, yeah. Hi. Good. Just just making sure. Yeah. So, I guess to start off, we want to talk about like I guess the very beginning before an episode starts, we get the the wooden title card. That's actually right behind you. And, it's right uh, here. I believe it? Kyler Kyler Spears designed the designed the title card, and we know. Uh, different shows have like different ways of like showing a title. Sometimes it shows along the bottom while the episode's ongoing. Um, you have shows like Big C Greens where it's kind of like integrated into the episode. So uh, how'd you come down to the decision of like maybe like the first few seconds of your episodes have like this beautiful title? Like I think it looks like oak. It's like an oak title card. Yeah, it's real wood. It's like it's real and it's carved. Um... You know, it's so funny that you're asking because I have to kind of transport myself now about four or five years, because even though the show premiered three years ago, we started working on it like a couple of years before that. So I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of like, I really wanted something tactile, something real. Uh, shows like Flapjack, they had like real stuff, you know what I mean, in their intros that you know, it, it helped make the show feel like it really existed outside of the, the TV. Um, so partly, selfishly, it was like a long con to get this out of it, sort of, so that I could actually have something that I could take and hold and, and be like, yeah, that was from, from our show. Um, but for tone, I wanted to really have it feel like an old storybook carving. You know what I mean? I was really on a uh, over-the-garden wall kick at the time, I think, and I I really loved how it, it gave the story a certain like je ne sais quoi just out of the bat. You know, you look at a wooden carving and you're like, oh, this is something that like is rich and there's, you know, kind of like a fairy tale aesthetic here. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. And also the same way you kind of structured the seasons where it's like end of part one, end of part two. Exactly. It kind of felt like a chapter book. Exactly right. Yeah. And to get that, uh, that nice font and yeah, filigrees everywhere. Yeah. What is that a custom font for the for the show? Do you mean the end of part one, end of part two stuff? Uh, I guess I know there's like the the end of part one, two fonts, and then as well as like any other text you have for I guess like promotional material. Um, yeah, that's a that's a custom font that we created just for the show because you know there's actually a lot of legal uh, stuff around using fonts, and it's always good to have your own that you can now. We know it's ours. We know we own this. You know what I mean? So. Uh, that that font is everywhere. It's on like in show text. It's on like props. You know what I mean? Like so, yeah. It's all over the place. Um, for the but the end of part one, part two, uh, the final, the end thing. That's just by hand. Right. You know what I mean? Those are those are essentially drawings. All right. Thank you, Matt. So I guess we're going to start going into we're going to talk about each of the planners basically, and starting off with Polly. So the the youngest family, the youngest member of the the planner family. Um, she kind of gets. She got probably the least amount of episodes focused on her, but 
she, she's by the end of the series, she's the character that kind of like physically, like by appearance, changed the most. And uh, even for the first two seasons, she doesn't even move the same way as the other characters, like different type of mobility. And the show points out how dangerous the world is and how young she is. And uh, when you already have like a young character like Sprig, and then you're adding this like even younger character into the sh into the main cast, um, like why did you want to have like a character like a preschooler such as Polly part of this main cast? That's a great question. Um, you're right. Where we wanted a tadpole character who changed every season because that felt really snug with you know the themes of the show and took advantage of the fact that these were frogs. I think Polly is a lot more chaotic than Sprig. I would say more of an anarchist than Sprig. I think Sprig is very hyperactive and has a lot of energy, but I think Polly is far more violent and destructive. So I think what we brought with her to the table was this kind of like, oh, this character could do anything and could cause a lot of damage, even though she's she's so small. I think, too, to kind of fill out the planter family, you wanted to give the impression that Hop-Hop had his hands full. So he's got Sprig over here, and he's got Polly over here, and between the two of them, you can, like, barely hold it together. You know what I mean? And so then it was nice for Anne to come into the equation because then she could really feel like an older sister who could not control the two, under her because she does influence them badly sometimes but it really solidified her place in that you know found family as well um because now even Anne has to sort of help hop hop look after two kids instead of just one um so yeah that's a that's a great question like why a younger kid and i think the answer is is because it helped define Anne's role and it helped define polly's role better Okay, thank you, Matt. And I know Nick, your your next question kind of like talks about these like dynamics Polly has. With oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I really just loved hearing about all that because like that's the kind of stuff that we, like you know, we, we talked about back in the podcast, just how we love the family dynamics. You know how like just when they get split up, like I absolutely love that. You know when Anne's just stuck with Hop Hop helping with the more like you you know like the more complicated chores that really only them can um, really focus on, like writing Bessie. But then, you know, we move over to Sprig and Paul. I just, like, I, I just love those two as well. Like, just the fact that, like, okay, I, I'm, I'm mixing up my words. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but you're right. You're right that, like, yeah. the characters were designed so that they could pair off and be interesting no matter what the combination was. And it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's a sitcom staple like Seinfeld, where basically every character has such a big personality and is so well-defined that like they do well when you shuffle them and you try different combinations. And I think we were after something similar with the core four members of the family. So Anne, Hop Hop, Sprig, Polly, these four needed to be entertaining on their own. They needed to be clear and entertaining when they were paired with one another. And every combination needed to be fun. Yeah, no. absolutely. Okay, yeah, actually, you know, that segues into something I wanted to ask you about. So, yeah, Spran, I mean, they're the heart of the show. Like, I love those two. But I also like, I also love those few episodes that focus on Polly and Anne. I just, you know, wanted to ask you, you know, while we absolutely know what Sprig and Anne do for each other, like, I wanted to sort of, like, peel back your mind on, like, what you think makes Anne and Polly's dynamic unique. So, there's really only two episodes where the two of them get to kind of pal around on their own and we really enjoyed them for different reasons uh girl time very difficult episode um to write because you know Anne was quite mean to polly and at the end of the episode says some stuff that is a little bit hard to take back and i think that it was a rare moment where like Anne, you know could see how horrible she was acting because she's literally mistreating a baby. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's not quite the same thing as an experience she would have with Sprig. You know what I mean? Like if, if she makes Sprig upset, like, you know, at the end of the day, he's a little bit older and he can probably take it. But I think when you see Polly and she's feeling really bad about herself because of something Anne said, it hits her much differently because she's like, 
even though it seems like Polly is aggressive and rambunctious, she is very young and very tender. And I think that like that really spoke to Anne seeing her like, oh, she doesn't have her confidence anymore because I said she was gross. Um, and then in the second episode, <laughs> Lost in Utopia, which is like one of my favorites, just like the oh, one of our, here, like, oh my god, just one of our funniest episodes, hands down, like the tales, tales, tales stuff, and and just the escalation, you know what I mean? It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger for those two. But they just got to like have fun together. And I think what was so like wholesome about that was, you know, it really felt like they were encouraging one another and there was no uh, judgment. <laughs> and so we really got to see them both kind of like, I mean, that's the, that's the way that the situation spiraled so far out of control. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that in the same way that Anne gets to be an older sister to Sprig, she gets to be an older sister to Polly, and that's just a slightly different flavor and dynamic. I think that like, since Sprig and Anne are so close in age, it's, it's different to me than when like, Anne is hanging out with Polly, like they're having fun. But at the end of the day, like Polly's a little baby, like, you know, in Return to War, when, when she like picks her up, she's like, oh no, 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 you didn't do it. You're just a real baby. Like, I love that stuff because it's a good reminder that even though, cause you know, Polly sounds like an adult and is played by like a 30 year old woman. Uh, she's still a baby. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, I even just have to say, yeah, I, I, mean, I love doing some of girl time in Lost in Utopia because if girl time is sort of like a setup for sisterhood, Lost in Utopia is just a payoff, man. Like we're just watching an episode of these two going across Utopia wreaking hell in there. Like it's just totally. it's 11, it's 11 minutes of total mayhem. Totally. And, and you know, Polly has a very specific relationship with Anne that is not not the same as Spriggs, because I think that by the end of the show, you get the feeling that like, you know, oh, is Sprigg gonna be okay if Anne leaves? You know what I mean? Whereas like, I feel like mm. Polly loves Anne, but is such an independent creature that it's different. It hits different, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Polly's gonna be okay, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel yeah. like Polly's gonna be fine. And so that's that's a very, you know, it defines both of those characters because when Sprigg had Anne enter his life, it was such a or it was just such a huge thing. It was a catalyst for his kind of, you know, who he is. And I think Polly was obviously enjoying Anne being there and loves her, but it's not quite the same. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, def that definitely like clears up some things in my mind now. Um, yeah, I was also gonna ask, I know like, so they only got two episodes, right? Like, did you guys ever have anything planned? Like anything else planned for them? Or are you just like satisfied with just having those two? Um, let me think about that. Uh, I am satisfied with those two and I'm pretty happy with, you know, their interactions. I think that anytime in all in Polly says like, well, do you go kick his butt or something? I felt like they had such a strong, confident relationship that they're apart from them getting into like, you know, more disagreements, um, where you could learn a little bit about both of them. Like, and I don't know that I wanted to do that, like to have them fight. Cause like, that's always a little bit like, Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I want this to. <laughs> I like them. I like, I like them on each other's team. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I'm happy with that stuff. I mean, I, I would love to know how Polly thinks about Anne now, like in, you know, after Anne has left, someone did a really sweet comic um, was that it? was going around. It was it like Ivy Sundu, something like the Twitter handle. I remember it was like her. Shout out, shout out. It was so yeah, good. And it was so, it was so insightful because Polly's so young in the events of the show that it really makes you wonder like, oh, how solid are her memories in the future of Anne? It's very interesting. Really, you know, tragic and heartbreaking to yeah. explore. Yeah. Really like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Whoops. Yeah. But like, but very, very, very good. Very good stuff. I really, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, me and Thumb, we've talked about it, like, a Polly spinoff? All right, we need that, right? Like, yeah, that. and I, <laughs> you know, when uh, um, when Amphibia ended, we talked a lot about, you know, the idea of a spinoff and, and what that would look like, and a lot of people were, were excited about that internally, and I, I'd, I'd be interested to know where that's where that is right now, because, like, I, I think we all talked about, like, shorts. Ooh, we'd love to do shorts, and, like, 
can you imagine it would just be like robots 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 man <laughs> you know like yes. <laughs> yeah it'd be very cool it kind of ends the series like having her own like little cast where she has like she introduced the the newer editions of the planner family like frobo and microangelo mm -hmm. and by the end she has them she has a bunch of snurds. that's true she's probably one of the most like experienced people in phibia like yeah this, like new world we're like yeah she's you're saying she's primed for her spinoff she was like i'm ready <laughs> so whatever yeah, pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah no i love her though and amanda layton the actor is is really brilliant all right so moving on to the we started off with the youngest planner we're gonna go to the the oldest planner now and uh like hop hop is like i think nick and i like that's our our favorite planner of uh um, yeah i mean I, he's we, Matt, we know you can't like, you can't pick favorites but but we can <laughs> and, yeah of course uh, <laughs> hop hop's amazing yeah yeah and <laughs> i guess so hop hop is a crisp 68 and yeah, indeed. i guess um what what made you want to have like a very old um caretaker of these kids and was this generational gap always was it always intended to like have like this missing piece for Mr. and Mrs. Boonchoy to fill in like ever since the beginning of the series or was that something that you came up with later on um that is something we came up with later and man it fits like a glove though right so you, you i mean i would love to say that like that particular plot beat was like <laughs> i wasn't even sure like well i was i was pretty sure we were going to meet ann's parents um in season three when when we were writing season one but you know you write these seasons being like oh god i hope we get you know what i mean like like we literally wrote the cliffhanger for season one trying to get our season two pickup and we we literally wrote the season two cliffhanger trying to get our season three pickup so these things were always you you never were sure and i you would always like kind of have this fear of like man if we don't get that pickup we are screwed. You know what I mean? Because like these cliffhangers are intense. Um, so at that point, early season one, that wasn't something that um, I was sure was going to happen. But I will tell you that it comes from an instinct of like parents, like parents are no fun. Okay. And when I when I when I say that, what I mean is the the presence of of uh polly and sprig's parents would just be one more hurdle to kind of their adventures because they would of course have all these rules and restrictions but what was nice about a grandpa is that because he's so old and you know you can tell he's kind of harried like he didn't sign up for this and he he didn't know he was going to raise these kids it it really makes you sympathetic towards him and you really understand that this is a guy who's just trying to do his best you know what i mean it just changes the flavor and then also it makes the family feel incomplete which is great because then Anne can come in and kind of fill in the fill in the gaps so i think it was more that like there was no version of the show that had sprig and polly's parents there that was fun to me i guess okay and like on the topic of like hop hop kind of like raising this family um we got to see how Anne's arrival with the calamity box kind of uh, influenced his actions and how that fed into his fears and you, I was like I think for season one we had Anne kind of give Hop Hop and the and the planners or, well speci specifically Hop Hop more agency on how to get back home and yeah I, I guess when when Hop Hop buried the box and when we saw like the book and the dangers of it uh, did you have already like were you already aware of like i guess leaf did you know about leaf and what was what and why the book existed in the first place yeah so leaf was planned from very early on and like one of the things that i'm super happy with is like the p thing like the p flip because like the p flip is a real like oh shit moment like for me like i was so excited about that because like again that's something that doesn't get to pay off until like season three so we have to earn yeah. <laughs> it we have to like wait and get there and and wait and wait and wait now knowing about leaf though means that like yes hop up hop up hiding the box was always going to be a little bit of a red herring and i knew that like you know what i mean that like it was going to make the audience feel like and also i knew so many audiences were coming right off of gravity falls where like it turned out there was this big secret and that like he was you know working on this machine in the basement 
But for Hop Hop, I, I craved something a little bit simpler and different that was a little bit more like, he didn't have a plan. In fact, he, he made a bad plan, which was to hide the box and then just lie about it. But he didn't have like this great, and I think it lends to the idea that Hop Hop is sort of like going by the seat of his pants a little bit, where he's like, okay, I'm hiding this box because there's, there's, there's no way that like, you know, I'm going to let this dangerous thing you know, get found and my family's going to be in trouble. What does that mean for me? Does that mean I raise this, this creature? I guess, I guess, I guess it does like for now, you know what I mean? And I'll figure it out as, as things progress. But like, I think, you know, and that's, what's so great about like that scene in after the rain where Anne's like, well, you're just going to keep me here. Like, what are you, some kind of sicko? You know what I mean? And, and he's very much like, well, no, I mean, yes. I mean, I would have taken care of you, but I'm not a sicko. You know what I mean? Like you have to understand that like, I'm, I'm grappling between some very different things right now. And he actually went to go dig it up because he was like, okay, wait, no, we do need this thing. And I do really care about Anne. So I'm just going to go dig it up. And it's like, I never buried it. And of course that's when he gets caught. But for me, what was so nice about that is that he was, he's still a farmer. He's not like, he doesn't have some like a crazy plan or machine or, you know what I mean? That he's working on. He's a very simple guy and he's always, He's always true to that. Sure, it turns out that he's related to Leaf, but that connection is more just kind of like a nice payoff than any kind of like, well, that means I'm some kind of... No, no, no. It's just, she was a farmer too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, shoot. Yeah, that is just hands down my favorite part about the whole box plot. Just, there's no huge lore revelation. There's there's no... Like, Hop Up, he doesn't know anything, man. He's just a scared yeah. old man who wants yeah. to make sure his family is always safe. He just, yes. He's just trying to make it to tomorrow every day. Like, I just, like, that's easily just my favorite part about that. Yeah, the guy can barely, I feel like this this poor man is 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 barely holding it together, which is probably why you guys like him so much. It's so relatable, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I know, like, Hop Up was always, like, the caretaker for the for the kids, and then even Nick, I know you had a couple of notes about like Hop Hop's goal was to get everyone to Utopia, but then what happens after that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at that point, I mean, he's like you know, yeah, in stores like these, he's like you know the mentor figure, right? Like yes. he has his own role yes. in his family, right? And like it sort of felt like after they got to like the Utopia was like his highest purpose as a mentor, right? Like he got them there, right? They got like they found everything new they knew about the box, they caught, got the whole temple quest, but after that, like. It's sort of like a hot pop. Like, is there anything else you can do? So like, it yeah. opens up this question of like, what's next for hot pop, right? And like, I think, I mean, for me, like, I, I just loved all the thing, all the things you guys did for him in season three. It just felt like after all the struggling and growth he did in season two, there's, there, it was just sort of victory lap for him, right? Like, yeah, Avengers and cat sitting, like it's, oh, oh sorry, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, he's no, exactly. Like, I think that. You know, and then when Anne has to take care of him, it's this really satisfying role reversal because it's like not that he gets to like chill for a beat, but he's like, I'm not the I'm not the authority figure. You know what I mean? Like and like that's yeah. freeing. <laughs> that's gotta be freeing for him. Yeah, and like also consider that like this is something that we were all talking about in the writer's room, which is like Hop Up shouldn't have buried the box and lied, obviously. But because he buried the box, they didn't have it with them in Utopia where King Andreas surely would have taken it. Do you know what I mean? So like there's these this ripple effect of like Hop Hop's really bad decision that ended up kind of helping them for a bit. Because then I can see like the king would have taken the box and like even when they're charging the stones, he still would have had this key piece, you know what I mean? That that this leverage yeah. on all the of the rest of the characters. So and even though it all goes belly up anyway, in true colors, like totally goes belly up, I do think that like Hop Hop's instincts were not horrible like this thing is dangerous he's right to be afraid of it he just has the wrong reaction you know yeah and i guess like the yeah like that like i was really interested about like how you talked about how him bearing the box like how that influenced whether or not andrews had control over it early on yeah it's just a really nice thought uh yeah, no, like, it's yeah, really it's like, great to hear all this stuff like, he totally fucked up it's just that it's just a question of like in that moment, Andrews is like, well, can I see it? You have the box? Let's see it. And they're like, ah, oh, we don't actually have it. And you know, in his head, Andrews was like, fuck. You know what I mean? Just for, <laughs> why don't they have it? You know what I mean? Like, so I, I like that. Stuff. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like final question for Hop Up. So 
we didn't really get to see Hop Hop in his youth. We got to see the shot in which uh, yeah. isn't really canon. It's just we, we saw his like flowing hair. Um, I think Ant Theft Auto. We saw a flashback kind of covered his face, and then we saw the Bizarre Bizarre where he's the wrecker. I just want to know was was the wrecker what Hop Hop always looked like, or was that just a costume? Like, has that always been a costume? <laughs> yeah, was that it always that buff? That is a great question. So firstly, I do think the Halloween special is canon. It was just aired out of order. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I think it is canon. I think I'm, I'm ready to commit to that because there's nothing in there that really contradicts like anything in the show. Like, and even the blue moon, this curse thing, I was like, well, that could have been a core experiment. You know what I mean? So like, part of me is, is, is okay with the idea that like, this is canon, so like you can imagine a young Hop Hop looking looking the way he does. I do think for the record specifically, I think that it always would have required some kind of prosthesis because that guy is just so different, so different from what Hop Hop looks like. Even in his youth, I don't think he was ever quite that swole. So I think that you know the idea that he wears stilts and has this like prosthetic like face. I think that that was always how he was at you know at the bizarre bizarre. It's it is something that that begs like like some kind of comic or some kind of you know what I mean like short story of just like what was what was young Hop Hop doing? It kind of lends itself well into his like his acting career. Where he has oh, hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> now you're cooking with gas. Well, there goes our chances of shredded Hop Hop, but we'll <laughs> yeah, we can move on to the the I guess the last frog planter of the family, uh, Sprig. So, it, it's easy for me to identify the change Sprig and, not Sprig, Polly and Hop Hop go through. Mm-hmm. So, it's a physical change for Polly. Um, Hop Hop, it's more about, like, his outlook on life. Um, Sprig isn't for, like, personally for me, I can't really come up with, like, a single sentence to describe, to describe Sprig. And, like, looking at Sprig throughout the series, he doesn't have as many conflicting thoughts going through his mm-hmm. head like Marcy, Sasha, Anne, Andreas, or even Hop Hop. And he's very direct with what he wants and what he intends to do. So a lot of the episodes surrounding him, like, there's challenges that are kind of childish, which is normal because he's young. But we also get surprisingly mature challenges <laughs> involving stuff like marriage, education, mm-hmm. his commitments <laughs> yeah. to his family. And like, so dating yeah. season, Spring gets schooled, yeah. Hog Day, yeah. fool me this. Yeah. And yeah. So, is it possible to describe all of these like character moments and relationships that he has with his family? Is there a way to kind of like, kind of like describe it under like one theme or one arc for Sprig? Is that is that? Oh, possible? his arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I feel like the best way to think about Sprig, and I think you've kind of hit on it, is that the reason why we actually cast like a younger actor for Sprig is because we always wanted him to feel like a real kid. And I think that like that's the difference with Polly, who has this amazing adult performer doing the voice, and even Brenda Song, who, you know, is 30, mid-30s, doing the voice of a 13-year-old. Sprig is different because he's, like, truly a real kid. And I think that what's so nice about that is actually uh, the actor, he ages across the three seasons and gets, not too much, mind you. I was always waiting for like, hey, it's me, Sprig. You know what I mean? But <laughs> it, it never happened. So like, I kept waiting, like, oh, when are we gonna like, are we gonna get gumballed here? Or you know what I mean? Or like, and he, he always was able to maintain a, a pretty high register voice. But if you watch the first episode, you watch the hardest thing. It's a different sounding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no question. But what's nice about that is like, he's getting older. He's still a normal kid, but he's getting more and more and more attached to Anne throughout the show. So Sprig's arc to me, you know, his character is he's a real kid. He's a real kid. And his arc to me is, you know, almost this kind of like, the show is about change and about how like, you know, whether you want to or not, people are going to leave your life. They're going to leave they're gonna come back there's gonna be these big ebbs and flows and i think sprig has the hardest kind of arc of all which is that over the course of three seasons we've seen him just like adoring Anne and like getting closer with her and just appreciating her and so of course his story is about having to let her go 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? So like, it's, it's a very kind yeah. of slow thing because that's not something that happens like, ah, here are the tent poles, episode one, midpoint, end point. It's more just this kind of like, oh shit, at the end where it's like, for this message, for this story to really feel true, Sprig also has to participate. You know what I mean? So it's this kind of like heartbreaking thing, but that is necessary for him so that he can live his life undefined by her. Do you know what I mean? Like he can now be his own person because like part of the show too is about how, you know, you can't live your life defined by others. And we, we love our friends, but like, you know, almost the best thing that ever happened to Anne was to be isolated from Marcy and Sasha and to kind of for once in her life get to be herself. You know what I mean? Like independent of them. Um, and I think that, it's important for Sprig to experience the same the same thing now moving forward. So I think, yeah, that's sort of my take on that, which is that you are right, is that like he doesn't have the kind of A to B to C that like some of the other characters do, a, like a very clear arc, but he does have a hard job. You know what I mean? He does he does have kind of this noble purpose at the end of the story, which is to kind of like say goodbye to Anne. So that's sort of my thoughts on that. Oh, okay. Thank you, Matt. Like yeah, we kind of talked about how, like, it feels like everything in this show is, like, after Sprig. Like, whether it's, like, an actual, like, antagonist or, like, monster. Even, like, the themes mm-hmm. of the show where it's, like, everything involving Leaf, like, goes through Sprig. Every, like, every season finale, Sprig is, like, anything yes. involving Sprig is, like, kind of, like, the turning point of the episode. Yes. Well, he's her yeah. rudder. You know what I mean? He's her, he's her constant. Because, like, well, everyone else is, like, <laughs> I mean, not really Polly, but, like, everyone else is like backstabbing in and like breaking her trust. <laughs> but like Sprig is the one person I think that she can, she can really count on to just be himself and be there for her. He has no ulterior motive. You know what I mean? And I think that's why when he's the one who gets dropped out the window, it's like, <gasps> you know, like, yeah. Like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> like that's just yeah. the awesome thing about Sprig. Like there's no, there's no baggage to befriending Sprig, right? Like he's, I think he just, really helps the more complex characters like um hop hopper and right because they have their own arcs and they're gonna project i mean there's so many episodes where, where they just project their problems right on the spring and he's yeah to, like especially yeah, hop hop the one that helps them develop yeah <laughs> like it's just i don't know it's just great to see and i just love spring's role in the series and god I'm like no what you just said like that's a lot to think about like i never realized like i knew these were part like i knew the idea that we have um episodes where the characters they don't want to live life how like yeah they don't want to live a life that people are forcing out to them like i never saw that as like as a, like a connective theme but yeah that's definitely gonna make me like look at look at the series in a completely different way well and also like you know you could say that sprig's arc will have to take place like sort of in your head after the show because now unmoored from Anne, what's he gonna do you know what I mean? Like a spinoff. How is he gonna? Well, I just mean like. I mean, it's it's sort of for your your imagination, but but the idea of like now he must be his own person. You know what I mean? And he's got her memories with him, and he's got that statue that he can always look at and feel a sense of guidance. But now Sprig must sally forth and be his own frog. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially the statue that's like pointing forward for him. I know. I know. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Like that's that scene always breaks my heart. Like when I just like I tell myself, don't watch the hardest thing. Do not. You're gonna feel terrible. Like, yeah. Don't watch the hardest thing. I'm like I just get to that scene of the statue. Like that's too much. You guys are yeah. cool for that. <laughs> I like too that they replace the town founder who is like who even knows who that guy is. Get it out of here. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and like now that we started like talking about Anne with Sprague, like we can kind of get into like the the you already started in the beginning talking about Anne's inclusion into the family um like we can talk a little bit about Anne because before so Anne's life before amphibia it wasn't it wasn't terrible no because you know she was she was financially stable she had she had a complicated friendship but it was still salvageable um she had the standard like parent child misunderstandings but they're, they're still loving parents and she wasn't even like she wasn't excelling in school, but she still had educators like looking out for her. And then you you reach the end of like you you, you reach all in, and you know Anne's like looking at like the Who Am I paper, and she's looking back at the planners, and she's talking about how like meeting you three like the quote is meeting you three has changed all of that. And Anne could have ended up 
anywhere with anyone in Amphibia. And she ends up with this frog family. And <coughs> compared to characters like Anderson Grime, they, they, were, they did have... They were affected by like the kids they were with in a positive way, but they weren't exactly the best role models to Sasha and Marcy. But the planners aren't flawless people either, but what makes their what makes the relationship with Anne uh, unique and mutually beneficial for both for both parties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you bring up a really good point where it's like, well, Anne's life wasn't terrible. And I agree that it was not terrible. Um, but I do think that Anne wasn't really like living in a way that was like the best version of herself. And I think that when you see <laughs> You know, that opening scene in All In where she's like, I don't think we should do this. And they're like, who cares? And she's like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, the principal, <laughs> the principal is basically like, like, I see you, like, I see you, and I know you are not making these decisions. I know you are not following your own moral compass. So, like, when is that gonna start happening? And I think that why the planters sort of unlock that for her is because they need her, you know what I mean? And that they need each other in this moment to like do that for one another. I think that the show is ultimately, and this kind of feeds into like one of your later questions that I'm saving, I'm saving that. Uh, but like the show is a love letter to people like Anne who don't have a lot of self-esteem. And when you don't have a lot of self-esteem, you tend to let other people make decisions for you. You tend to question your own decisions and you tend to like really question your own compass. You know what I mean? Your own gut. And I think that like, you know, What's nice about the planters is they're so humble. They're like bottom of the, like bottom of the barrel in this pecking order, and that's that's ultimately why we came up with this kind of like, you know, species-based kind of role, kind of pecking order thing. Is you wanted Anne to feel like she's once again at the bottom of it. You know what I mean? But she's now surrounded by the planters who are also there with her. This humble little frog family that is very incomplete. And Anne finally has something of great value to bring. Um, and I think that previously it wasn't, it wasn't like that with, with Marcy and Sasha, where she was kind of going along with their ideas and she was like, kind of like, you know what I mean? Letting them walk all over her. And now she's with these people who like value her opinion and that she can make a difference in their lives. And I think that's why like, it's so different for her. It hits so different for her when she thanks them. You know what I mean? In, in All In. Because for for her, they really unlocked something for her. Whereas, like, for Grime, you know, he basically is Sasha. It was, like, two Sashas that just get to kind of, like, you know, realize, like, look at each other in a mirror and be like, oh, I see you. And, like, oh, we need to be a little different, don't we? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's very different than Anne, who is arriving in this place and being like, I'm needed and I'm wanted. And, like, this is making me feel very different <laughs> than I felt before. And, again... And didn't have bad parents, but you just don't listen to your parents. You know what I mean? And I'm sure her parents were like, we wish X, Y, and Z would happen for you. Like, we wish you would study more. We wish you had a little bit more purpose in your life, or we wish that you stood up to your friends sometimes. And like, you know, but you know how it is. Like, sometimes you need to go out there and experience it for yourself. And then when you come back, you're like, you were right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, should have listened. But yeah, I think that's why it's it's a little bit different for Anne, and I do think that's why the planters were so important for her. Okay, wow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. Yeah, like that, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that was a great answer. Yeah, thank you. I mean, Jesus, I mean, like, I even have to say, like, yeah, like, um, I mean, and yeah, and coming to Warwood and living the planters, that was sink or, like, that was sink or swim, right? Like, she didn't, yeah, like, yeah, when you just think about all this stuff, like, there's just so many reasons for why the planters were just so good for Anne, and, like, yeah. I mean, like, one of them, which I just find kind of funny to think about, is just, like, Cousin Stan, like, she had to be, uh, she had to be good. She had to be on her best behavior, otherwise they would have, like, thrown her. Yeah! Like, I just love that. Like, it's crazy, you know, Kane, <laughs> Kane crazy in season one, it's crazy where Hop Hop's like, so help me God, I'm gonna throw you out. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, we struggled with that episode for a long time because like, it just sounded so mean. Is he really gonna throw her out? You know what I mean? Like to, to the elements. And then like, ultimately it was like, yeah, yeah, he is. Cause like, otherwise there's no, like, there's this incentive for Anne to be like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta like, you know what I mean? Like I gotta make this work. <laughs> I don't wanna be, I don't wanna go back to the cave. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's 
<laughs> oh, really? Is this like, like, yes, Domino. Oh, no, she just ran away. Holy shit. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Shit. Not to tease. Yeah. I was like, come on, meet them. And then she's she's out of here. So we'll get her back. We'll get her back. Anyway, uh, proceed. Proceed. Yeah, so we, uh, you already kind of got into, like, the the family dynamic of the show. Like, because each of the players are kind of like a different demographic where even though the kids aren't too many years apart from each other, it's still like a... Even as a kid, like seeing someone like me two or three years older is like, it's like a different generation. Basically. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like, especially when Anne, Anne's 13, but you know, sometimes she's written to be kind of like 16. Like 16. Yeah, and then, she's 13. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Sprig's 11. Polly, Polly's, I think, six or five or. Yeah, Polly's five or six. Yeah. yeah. And then you have like Hop Hop, who's just Chris, Chris 68. 68. So yeah. Like, do you ever. Like, what are the challenges and advantages of, like, writing this kind of, like, diverse ensemble cast? Did, like, do you guys have this, like, do you guys ever, do the writers ever have this situation where you're thinking, like, oh, is this, like, character too young or is this character <sighs> too old to be, like, part of, like, this episode, this plot? Yeah, I mean, there's, like, there's some, there were some moments where I was, like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I think, I think Anne says, like, I was on Varsity and I was, like, uh, like I mean, like high, like middle school varsity. Like so, there there were a couple of lines where I was like, ah, oh, no, that's not quite not quite right, and it like you know made it into the final. But um, I think that like ultimately our writing team was like like our story editor was you know mid forties, early fifties. Uh, some of us were like um late thirties. Some of us were like uh late twenties. You know what I mean? So like we we did have like I mean we didn't have we didn't have any like. Like um, <laughs> kids, <laughs> you know? but but I do think that like we did have a pretty broad like range of experiences, and I think that like you know the older folks drifted towards writing Hop Up, the younger ones drifted towards writing like Marcy and Sprig. You know what I mean? I was sort of in the middle with Anne, but we had a nice kind of like you know rapport and and at least some diversity of experience in the writers' room, and also the you know. I feel like the board artists that were all around, they're all around 30 or mid 20s. Like that was a little bit more like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, Alicia Rocha had like a perfect like sketch. Like Nick, I can, I can't, I can't check Nano Paul goes like archive, but like she had the sketch of like all the kids like Naruto running and then like Hop Hop's just like sitting there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's exactly. And I think that like, you know, that was fun and it was, also, there's this notion that, like, Anne is, like, an alien from another dimension. And so, like, even though Hop-Hop, Polly, and Sprig are all different ages, none of them knows what binge-watching is. You know what I mean? So it's, like, it's there were these nice unifying points for them as well, even though they're, the ages are all over the place. Oh, okay. Thank you, Matt. And I guess we can start getting into, like, the last couple of questions. Um, So this question is kind of about season one. So... As the series aired over the years, it gave more reasons for people to check out the show and fall in love with it. And maybe someone was interested in what happens in season two or three, but to get to that point, that, that moment they're looking for, they, they, they need to watch season one. Mm. And for, for reference, like Nick and I, we discovered the show during season one, so our expectations and first impressions on how the show is presented, it's like vastly different oh, from yeah. someone else. No, I understand. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, someone might approach the first season thinking it's the F word because a lot of it takes place in one small town compared to the rest of the series. So yeah. I, just, I don't want to, how do I, how do I pitch season one to someone without making concessions to the criticisms some people have with it? Because I, I see these like well-meaning um, statements where it's like they describe season one as like a slow burn or wait wait for episode 10 but it kind of has that like negative connotation mm, so it's like yeah. how do i how do i avoid that when i try to describe like basically these first few episodes of the show are the planners like becoming a family and like forming the, the foundation of the show yeah 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 so very tricky question to ask me i think that like something that you need to understand about the show because you can totally do this. And I, I saw these comments popping up um, around like, you know, the end of season two. And it's usually like, here's a guide. Like, here's the quick guide for watching the show if you don't actually want to watch it. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, oh, well, I understand that like, 
you know, we've all got a limited amount of time. And if you just want the core story beats, here you go. Here, here they are, you know, episode one, episode 10. You know what I mean? You probably need to watch Bizarre Bizarre. You know, that, that kind of thing. Like, totally, totally. And I, again, I, I would never blame anyone for wanting to experience the show that way. What I will say, though, is that because Amphibia is more than its story, like, it's more than just, like, we got to get the MacGuffin to stop the villain before he does X, Y, and Z. Like, because it's it's a little bit more about just getting to know characters and getting to care about characters and spend time with them. Season one is a gift in that regard because it helps you care about these characters before the, like, grand adventure and the high stakes kick in. And it's kind of amazing how much more you care about them if you've seen season one. And this is something that I've been able to observe across the board where it's like there were season three episodes where like season one characters came back and you could just tell who didn't see season one you could just immediately tell yeah who and you know what again no judgment because like we're all watching these shows for for different things but the wonderful thing about a character like tritonio coming back is because he had such a strong opinion and perspective on Anne when they first ran into each other in season one. And you see that perspective change based on them meeting again in season three. And to me, that's a very rewarding setup and payoff, even though it's not like a plot twist or a giant, like high stakes episode, it's just as important to the show as those high stakes episodes. So while I understand that like some people don't have the time, I would really pitch season one as like, you know, this is your opportunity to actually fall in love with these characters. And if you skip it, which you can do, you run the risk of not doing so. You know what I mean? Like, you run the risk then of sort of having missed the forest for the trees. You sort of run the risk of not feeling things as deeply when you get to true colors and not feeling things as deeply when you get to all in. And then you, you'll you just have, like, a much different experience. Like, honestly, like, it seems like it seems like some of these stories are just like, you know, throwaway Monster of the Week stuff, but it's really your opportunity to spend time with these characters divorced from a high-stakes yarn. And it really, it hits different. It hits different. Like, and again, you, you have to ask someone who has seen, like, the entire show. Um, but, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's valuable, valuable character stuff that, like, you know especially for a show that is about Anne's journey, like it really truly is about Anne's journey. If you skip kind of her biggest growth, you will really be experiencing a much shallower version of the same story. So again, it's, it's their choice. It's anyone's choice. Like we all have so much time. And, you know, if, if there's a lot of people too, not a lot of people, but there's people who I've seen who just, they don't really like comedy. Like they don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't grab them and they, they just want the the nuts and bolts of the of the story, um, and that's 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 you. Like you do you, and like no judgment. Like we all consume media differently, and like that's totally fair. But like to me, I will always insist that like if you really want to feel connected to these characters, I would not skip season one. All right, thank yeah, you. And like, I, yeah. I, I know you talked about like why. Like we, we talked about why do people watch the show and. Mm-hmm. You have characters like the and the planners. You also have characters like Sasha and Marcy, who yeah, their appearances were intentionally minimal compared to Anne. That's right. But w- within seconds of their introductions, became like fan favorites. Yeah, for, like for a lot. Here's, of here, so it's like, here's Domino. Hey, <laughs> like, this is the best, the best cat, <clears throat> the best inspiration, the best, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> my lord and savior. Yeah, yeah. go on. Oh, yes, like, yes. Like, Sasha and Marcy. Sorry, Domino distracted me. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> so right on cue. God, right now. <laughs> so, like people find those characters interesting, and there's a lot of speculation and learning about the a part of their lives that we don't really see, like Marcy's time in Utopia, which will, will probably be addressed in the book, as well as Sasha's time in Toe Tower and with the Resistance. So. And then also, like, fancy a lot of themselves and their own past friendships within this trio. And mm. be- because of this, the girls and their dynamic is, like, from what I can tell, 
the most discussed mm. and prominent element of the show by the community, whether mm. it's like comment sections or mm. video analysis or even even like interviews such as this, mm. where there's like a lot of discussion trying to figure out what they mm. what they are. Yeah. And if you like, I'm not sure if you anticipated this level of like excitement and engagement with this specific aspect of the show, but if you did, what made you want to focus or structure the show around Anne and the planners' time together instead of maybe like Anne, Sasha, and Marcy's time in Amphibia? So there is like an enormous kind of like meta irony to this question and this kind of like discussion because ultimately the show is about Anne, a character with low self-esteem who doesn't think she's as good as Marcy or Sasha. Marcy's so smart. Sasha's so charismatic. Anne's like, what do I bring to the table? You know what I mean? So the idea that like this show is a love letter to that person. The show is, is not really a love letter to each of these characters given like equal weight. It really is about Anne. And it's a celebration of how someone who doesn't think they have anything to bring to the table can bring the most important thing, which in Anne's case is empathy. Um, so I think that like my choice to focus on Anne has always come from that love of those kinds of people. And you know, that's not me. Like the I had a friend group and I was not the Anne, but like I and it's taken me many years to kind of appreciate, I think, the Anne in my group. Do you know what I mean? So like I think that it would be very popular, I'm sure, and people would really love it to kind of just, if <laughs> a third of the show is Marcy and the third of the show is Sasha, and it was like split evenly between the three girls, but that's actually not the story I set out to tell. Um, and I think too, that from my point of view, I'm always, I've always been a less is more kind of guy. Like that's just what I like. I love leaving things open to interpretation. And I think part of the intense, like the desire to know more about Sasha and Marcy is because you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, if you were to hammer these details down, you would know, but it ultimately wouldn't deliver satisfaction necessarily. It would just be information for your checklist. You know what I mean? So like, for me, the most important thing for this story is to do justice to Anne's journey and her arc and make sure to give it the love and the focus that I thought it needed. So like, yeah, I really think that, you know, my goal was to give Anne this character who once again in this kind of glorious meta commentary on on the show itself doesn't think much of herself and to give her the spotlight all right yeah thank you matt yeah and i guess nick you can take the final question oh yeah i mean i was just gonna say like yeah that just makes total sense right there matt like what you said like i like i see so yeah, i mean amphibia is about a lot of things and i feel like the planters including Anne, like, I feel like they just resemble that part of the show more than compared to Sasha and Marcy, which just, which is going to naturally make it so the show just needs to focus more on them, right? Like, just the ideas of change, um, the ebb and flow of friendships, like, yeah, everything that just comes with that, right? And, like, when you have, like, two characters who don't really start improving as people until the final season, like, you kind of got to prioritize the people who are actually are changing, right? And, like, I, like, to me, I've always just looked at the show like that, and that's just what's made everything that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think it's not it's not the same as like Guardians of the Galaxy or something where it's like you have a team and like each character is is sort of given the floor. It really is like, oh, this is also a story about how when you achieve independence from, you know, basically these crutches, like these these people in your life, you know, this friend group, this really rigid friend group, when you go outside the group and you start to find yourself independently of that group, like you can achieve kind of amazing growth and realize things about yourself you never knew. And I think that had the show decided to kind of like equally divide itself between the three humans, it would just feel, it would feel like a very different show. Not bad, not, not better, not worse, just, yeah. just different. Yeah. Right. So I guess our final question is kind of about the, the ending of the show. Um, Nick, you want to take this one? Yeah, like, this is, I mean, 
There's like a lot of things I want to ask here. Yeah, I'm ready. This is it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. this is a doozy right here. Yeah, like I mean, you unfounded our found family. Like you, you built a whole show Mm. around these four characters coming Mm. together and forming like one of the strongest bonds we've ever seen Mm. in all media. And then like you (laughs) end it all on tearing them apart and having the audience cope with the fact they might never see each other again. Like, like I just like I just have to know like. I know you pre-planned Amphibia, right? Like, you knew what ending you wanted for the show, right? But, like, I just have to know, like, when you were going through it, like, were there any moments where you were writing, like, this really sweet and sappy scene with them? Were you thinking about, like, what you did to them in the end? Like, like do you have any doubts while going well, through all that? I mean, so it's a, it's a very complicated answer. Um, I will say that when we were writing season 3A which like has a lot of the planters and Anne getting to just spend like fun time together. I did it because I was like, this is, this is it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they need to enjoy the company that they have now because like, you know, at the end of this story, they, they won't get to have the same thing. So, um, you know, and for me, Amphibia has never been a show about wish fulfillment. It is just, is just not that show and the ending is the same the ending is is not wish fulfillment i'll be honest a couple of times i almost chickened out a couple of times i almost wrote the ending where like you know we can see each other whenever and like we beat the bad guys and we can like hang out and like i'll see you on the weekends you know what i mean but like it was hollow i couldn't i couldn't really define it for you and though it sounds like very sweet and wonderful on paper, it ultimately made the show feel like it was about nothing. You know what I mean? Like, because all this, like, stuff that Anne had experienced, you know, and these, this philosophy that she's kind of taken to heart, especially when it comes to Leaf, who is pleading with the characters to kind of, like, understand the idea that just because we're not together doesn't mean we're not, like, doesn't mean we're truly apart. You know what I mean? We carry pieces of each other wherever we go because of these memories we share the idea that Anne wouldn't have to follow through on that felt very strange, very strange to me, very kind of like, well, then what was the point of this show? You know what I mean? Like, and, and as, as kind of like, yeah, as kind of direct as that may feel, you know, it is ultimately the reason why I stuck true to the ending that I always wanted, which is that, you know, and you, by the way, you narrowed in correctly on the word might, they might not see each other again. And I think that's important too, is that element of hope, which is that Anne truly believes that these things that you let go, they come back. And that's the evidences with Marcy and Sasha who show up at the aquarium to be with her again. So it's, it's funny because like, I think the ending is very sweet. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah, very, like, yeah, yeah, like I was like, no, this is the happy ending, you guys. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they yeah. they hold each <laughs> other so closely in their hearts and that they're going to live their lives always having that. How could that ever be sad? You know what I mean? From from my point of view. Um, but, you know, it, it also is just I've always wanted to be, you know, bold with this show and really say what was important to me. And my experience with my friend group was that you know, as, as tight as we were and as, as many adventures as we had and as, as, as much as we loved each other, we did ultimately drift apart. And like, you know, I'm not saying that is a guarantee. I'm saying that if it happens, it's okay. So, you know, to answer your question, like, how could I? <laughs> uh, my answer is because I, I felt compelled to, that I, I felt like it was important to this piece and it was the last missing element of this story about change, I guess. But like, you know, I, I really do want to empower people to, in their own way, like their own head cannons or their own imaginations that like, there's any number of ways these characters could reunite. And also, also the girls are 23. Like they're so young. There's like so much life ahead of them. Like I, I saw like a comment that was like, you know, how could you tear them apart? Like, you know, like this is, this show should be about change, not about like the ending of a relationship. And I was like, they have so much time in their lives to kind of like, especially with uh, Marcy and Sasha, to get to know each other again. Like there's, 
you know, while you still have breath, it's not like, you know what I mean? You're, it's not like their lives are over. They're very young. And it's funny because like, I'm, I'm 30, 33. And when I think of 23, I'm like, Oh my God, I was so young. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how old you guys are, <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, how old are you? Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, I'm 20. I'm 20. Nice. Yeah, I'm 20. You have so, there's so much more, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how could your story ever be over? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess, you know, again, everyone's entitled to their opinion and I fully respect, you know, uh, but just know that like what I was after was very specific and very important to me that like it was this, this is the story, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and if you, if you rewatch the show, understanding that this is a story about these three girls independent from each other for the first time in probably a long time are finding their best selves and how like sometimes in life you need to spend some time apart, grow as a person, come back together again, and you'll find that you have a much stronger bond because of it. So it's, it's really this like, you know, it's a very adult message though for a, for a kid's show. I, I'll a hundred percent admit, admit that. I think that is, that is super fair. And like, also like, you know, there are those summers that felt like the best summers ever or those experiences that we had. And like, we cannot return to them. You know what I mean? So like, it, it just felt like an ending where they can all like hang out felt just very disingenuous to me. But again, that's me. That's my creative sensibility. Do with that what you will. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I do think it was the right move because when you just think about it, I mean, everyone, the, the entire cast themselves, they had to accept some form, yeah, some element of that theme themselves, right? Like, so to have Anne sort of get off scot-free, like she just... Yeah, exactly! To, like, it, it just wouldn't be fair. I mean, Sasha Marsh, they went through, like, three seasons of hell because they just wouldn't accept that their friendship won't always be the same, right? I mean, you can't just have Anne, like... It, it just wouldn't, I mean, it's what, I mean, no, plus you have Sprig, I mean, you guys did, like, I mean, you guys were nasty to Sprig, it's like, you killed Anne, right? You had to, you had to accept Anne dying, well, and then you had to accept never seeing her again. And yeah, like, I yeah, think... Sprig had to learn that lesson twice, so it's like, you, you gotta let Anne, like, you have to let Anne learn the same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, it's, you, you put it well when you say that, like, you know, for her to just kind of, like, miraculously get this nice thing which is just to see them whenever she wants it does feel like it, it flies in the face of the kind of the message of the piece you know what i mean where it's just kind yeah. of like you know um and life is is not about just getting the things you want like i feel like there's there's so much of this that's like you know you will you will face um irreversible change and i think because of the experience experiences that the characters had throughout this entire show, they're able to kind of face that with courage. So that's sort of like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's something that like everyone experiences, whether they want to or not. And it may be friendship. It may be someone you love. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's, there's any number of permutations on this, but like, I do think it's an important thing to hear that it's going to be, it's going to be okay. Like I think a lot about when I, when I made the show, I think about the end of Gravity Falls a lot. Do you guys, you, you guys seen Gravity Falls? Have you seen it? All the oh, years? yeah, no, 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 we, we both yeah, yeah. Gravity Falls. Like, we, we, yeah, yeah. So the end of Gravity Falls is sort of, you know, because we're together, it's going to be okay. It's sort of the takeaway where they, the brother and sister go into the unknown together, but because they have each other, it's going to be okay. I sort of wanted to deliver uh, a companion message, not... It's, it doesn't refute anything. These, these messages go hand in hand. And that's the thing about life is that, you know, but like our message is sometimes you won't be together and that's okay. So it's kind of like the yin and the yang for those two shows because I, I came off of Gravity Falls being like, I love that message. I love it. And so I wanted to share something from my life too. You know what I mean? That was completely different. Yeah. Like, yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. I think that's a... Yeah. <laughs> It's probably a good time yeah. to like wrap up. And <laughs> yeah, that, that concludes like this week's recording. Like whoever's listening, like whoever has is or plans on watching listening to this podcast. Like thank you so much, um, especially to our past like contributors on the show. Uh, special thanks to Gratifying for making the thumbnail you'll see, and thanks Nick for co-hosting alongside with me, and thank you Matt for coming on tonight. Just, yeah, my, my, my pleasure. I, I sort of want to add just like a little like 
caveat or just food for thought, which is that like, you know, art, art and media is, is to be discussed and to be like interpreted. And like, that's, that's a strong opinion of mine is that like, you cannot be wrong. You know what I mean? Like in whatever you think about the show or whatever you perceive or interpret from its ending, like it's your opinion. That will always just be your opinion. And I think what I would love to add is just to like (laughs) respect, like the opinion of others respect that like, you know, if you don't like something, it doesn't mean everyone has to dislike it. You know what I mean? These are all like kind of thoughts I've had about like, you know, you make something, you put it out there. And like, I think, you know, like we talked about earlier, the idea that I would receive messages like, like hate messages because of like something I said on a podcast once that were just like really ungenerous. I would just say, wait a beat before you like at me with something like, where you're like, how could you, you monster or something like that. Just like, I know, just give it a moment, give it a thought. <laughs> and then, hey, have at it. All right. Thank you, Matt. So uh, thanks for listening to this week's recording or watching this video. We'll be back in, we're, we're going to take a few months off just to kind of like figure out what to do next, but we'll, we'll be back eventually. Thanks for listening again. Um, say goodbye to everyone. Cool. Thanks for having me, you guys. It was a pleasure. Say goodbye, Nick. See you guys.